This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, assalamualaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. Um, this week is to Wiki Otereo Māori, and um, a very, I think, interesting time. I think there's lots of um, positive things about this week, but also I think lots of things that we critically have to talk about and have a deep conversation about. I think I was actually funny enough having like the same thoughts last year when I I'm not too sure if I did a whole episode about um the wiki otero Māori but I think I I definitely carved some time at the beginning of the episode to talk about it and acknowledge it because it is um te ao Māori is a huge part or is the first culture and should be given more recognition um, and space in our country but it isn't and so opportunities like this where there is a positive promotion of a language that is dying is is a beautiful thing I think um, but again when it's when there is promotion of cultures languages perspective stories people that are normally marginalized there is um, an element of tokenism and commercialization and you know something where you really do have to look at your intent before participating because otherwise if you don't have that true intent it's going to be very performative it's going to be something that's just active um, during the week when you know the reason why Tawiki or Te Reo Māori is is even a thing is because it should be an invitation for everyone to to be on this journey and to do the work for the long time long time sorry so this is more of a beginning than a moment but you know with these sorts of things it definitely I, I feel well I see it more often than not that it is a moment rather than a beginning when when it is really an invitation to to a to a beginning and I think it's really interesting that this week is to Wiki Otero Māori when a couple of episodes ago I was talking about how the use of um, Te Reo Māori is still very much criticised and just not even criticised going to the next level where there is hate comments and letters um, posted to people people are complaining that broadcasters are now using um, Te Reo Māori um, in their mahi but not even like full Te Reo Māori it's just a little greeting here and there it's kind of peppered in and even that has angered people so much 
that they have taken the time out of their day to send a complaint in and that's crazy and I feel like we are um, living in a weird fr friction where there are people who absolutely want to get on board and and want to support um, and then there, there's the other half of the country now I'm just generalizing things I know that there are feelings and stories that are completely in between these two you know these two peaks but it just seems like there are these two peaks that are most definitely coming through and to move forward as a country we have to create a space for that dialogue and that understanding and for that aroha to come through so we're not seeing those two peaks because you know and this is and this is just my opinion and I completely acknowledge that I do not fuck a puppet back to any Maori heritage so this is just completely my opinion and I'm so open to being challenged and I'm so open to um, having other people on the show to extend this corridor with so if you're listening and you're like oh I'm not actually I don't agree with what you're saying or I have a couple of thoughts or actually yes and please let me know um would love to have you on the show and to keep this corridor going on but in in my opinion um we have to have everyone in Aotearoa involved for this lang for Te Reo Māori to truly be living and thriving, not just surviving, but to be thriving in New Zealand. I think we need everyone on board, but with this tension that hasn't that that needs to be addressed. I think weeks like this will just be moments when we really need it to be um, an invitation to a beginning um, and so I strongly encourage everyone who is um, getting amongst with everything that's happening this week to kind of invite that that conversation or that thought process of well what is my intent is this going to be a moment for me or is this an invitation to a beginning and you know I just want to put it out there when I say in an invitation to something uh, to a beginning it doesn't have to be um, a, a huge thing I think any steps towards the right direction is amazing like this is what I tell this is what I yeah tell people who always like you know friends and and colleagues and and family and you know anyone who kind of approaches me and asks the question of well how do I be um, an ally and how do I be anti-racist or um, how do I show up more I think any step as long as it's meaningful and the intent has you know you've aligned with the intent whatever the work looks like as long as you're moving towards the, the right direction amazing that's better than doing nothing that's better than performative or tokenistic um, solidarity you know no matter how big or small those steps are to you keep moving and keep taking those steps and, and make it a journey not just 
um, a moment. I yeah, and I've I think I've been seeing a lot of discourse online around um, Lord this because just before um, Tawiki Otero Mori she released um, a Tero version of her album Solar Power and I think the title in um, Tero is Te Ao Marama but again correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's Te Ao Marama so she released that um, last week so just ahead of this week and um, she yeah I think a lot of people have feelings about it and you know what it's totally 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 fair totally valid and I think we we all like when I say we I mean everyone like we all need to acknowledge that it's totally fine to have a variety of opinions on this and just with anything you can't expect one group to have a homogenous response to a particular event um, or to have the same thought process because that is not correct um, and so there are people who you know there are people who fuck up and back to Māori heritage and have spoken up and said I think this is amazing and there are also been people who have stepped up and said actually this is so triggering for me um, so I'm just going to pull up what Lord's words were ahead of releasing this version of her album so before as she was releasing Te Ao Marama um, she also added some words in as well and she said and she said um, as I was writing an album about the spiritual power of the natural world specifically in the context of where we're from and I realized oh there's a word for this it's kaitiakitanga um, and she's talking about um, the te Māori word which means guardianship loosely um, I know that translations don't always capture the exact essence of the word um, but yes like broadly meaning guardianship and um, in a lot of indigenous cultures there is this spiritual role and very important grounding role of um, honoring the whenua and realizing that there's a sense of interconnectedness in this relationship and you know our natural world mother earth is not just a, a place but it is part of family and ancestry and it's um, grounding for your identity and so there is a sense of looking after something so sacred and so sacred so yeah loosely that's what um kaitiaki kaitiaki tanga sorry um means and so from that realization i think she went to go talk to her um aunt or talk she spoke to some people and brought other people into this project and um together you know produced her almarama which 
I still actually haven't listened to it yet, which I'm excited to listen to it because I really loved um, the Wiretap album where lots of New Zealand artists um, came together and um, with their popular hits that were in English also had it available um, in Te Reo Māori as well and it was I, I'm still even now just trying to learn the lyrics and um, understand like appreciate the language on that level and be able to honour it by singing it in Te Reo Māori as well so I yeah absolutely I loved love 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 Wyatt and I'm excited to listen to um, Te Ao Marama as well and I've just been, yeah, listening to the discourse and I can completely, completely appreciate why there would be a whole range of emotions related to um, not just Lord's album but to Wikia Te Reo Māori and just the complicated relationship with language um, and how that <laughs> plays with your identity and your sense of self and you know and I don't think we really talk about it enough just exactly how damaging it is when you know the British way of life was assimilated on tongue to whenua and so now you have generations of trauma of people not being able to speak um, their mother tongue um, being criminalized for it and having that language you know pinned down so much that the the knowledge is, is slipping away and you know now there is this revival and, and people are wanting to connect with their language and their whakapapa but that's hard work it is hard work and it's very painful work as well it's generations of trauma that have been passed down and you know there are so many stories of people who aren't connected to their ancestors and and you know language and identity is such a complex complex relationship and for those whose language has never been questioned it's honestly something that's really hard to wrap your head around and I, I don't think we talk about that enough in just enough in our cult like in New Zealand in our country and I think if there was more of that understanding I think the way that we view the like the urgency the sense of urgency that is that is in the air for people to hold on to their language and to grow it and to heal um, it's part of the healing process and healing is so important for those who have been screwed over by by the system by the majority by colonization because you know it gets to a point where the trauma is just passed on generation to generation to generation it's really hard to separate that trauma from your identity and, and it becomes such a heavy heavy part of your being and you know that is that is a very dangerous place to be and I feel like because you know once the trauma is internalized and part of your identity it's consistently living on inside 
inside you all the time whether you're conscious of it or not and it's um, definitely something that I I've observed in the Somali community you know whether like whether it's we migrated here we came here under refugee status there is a lot of pain and trauma between the generations and growing up in a place like New Zealand where you know unfortunately racism racism oh my gosh racism jeez where racism is present it just is so confusing to to navigate that and when you experience racism you internalize this the pain from that and that victim mindset and I honestly it it does feel like you are stuck in a cage you lose the agency and I'm I'm not putting it on the individual because very much there's a system that allows there are structural problems and a system that allows these structural problems to continue so in no way am I saying it's on the individual but when you know trauma becomes so entire when trauma becomes so intertwined with your identity it it just feels like you're stuck in this cage and there is no room for air there is no room for hope there is no room to heal to decolonize um to relearn yourself there is there's just literally no room for that um and so i think it's wonderful there are weeks like this that allow people to open the door and to to start something new but just knowing that even just that starting is so triggering and painful and really hard and you know sometimes that's what healing looks like but it is really hard and I think we need to allow space for that um we need to understand and listen with curiosity and empathy as to why there is a wide spectrum of emotions and feelings when it comes to this week and um yeah just just listening it's it's really interesting how so many of these conversations you know the solution just kind of starts with just listening and really being there for someone and listening without biases present without any assumptions um and not just like negative assumptions like I, I'm going to call myself forward for this whenever I would talk to fellow third culture kids my assumption was that it was always going to be somewhat traumatic or negative but actually there are so many different experiences out there and you know there are the common struggles of too foreign for here too foreign for home but actually not everyone has had a traumatic experience and I think I always not maybe consciously or actively but unconsciously definitely um my inner monologue was processing whatever that person said with that filter of oh there must be some underlying trauma which is so horrible now that I think on it um but I'm being honest I'm being vulnerable and 
don't know, hopefully by sharing this it helps um, others realize something about themselves but I think it's really easy to listen with those assumptions and those biases no matter what form or shape or if it's positive or negative or whatever it is in between if you have those around they definitely contribute to how you process how someone has taken yeah how has how someone has said something to you and how you process that it might be different after you apply those filters compared to what they were actually trying to tell you. Um, so just listening is really, really important. And um, while I'm talking about te wiki o te Māori, I also, and, and Lord as well, I just wanted to touch upon this really interesting article that I read um, that kind of highlights um, that feeling of this is actually not feeling good and this is quite traumatic and triggering so there's this um very well-respected prolific choreographer um called jack gray and um jack gray is a yeah highly respected multi performer and choreographer and current artistic director of um atamira dance company and um, he has a blend of DNA, so 90% um, pollination. Now I'm just directly quoting from the article here, so I'm not making, putting a, assigning a numerical value. And then the last 10% is a mix of Melanesian, Japanese, Korean, Italian, Finnish, Scandinavian. Um, and and in his work he he actually got invited by Lord's team to choreograph for um, Te Ao Marama and he was saying that the interactions with with Ella and her team it was still like this the album or Te Ao Marama was still centered in this whiteness and he felt really um, uncomfortable and you know even though there were the well intentions there the impact was still kind of centered in this whiteness and you know Lord did ha has really good intentions but there is still she's coming from this place of privilege but for um tongue to whenua there is none of that privilege so to be uh, applauded to speak to our Maori is is not there but you know lord now is garnering all this attention and getting lots of um applause and i'm not i'm not saying that's not valid because to imagine someone with a huge platform like that and to produce something like this and to be like oh well this is this is going to be a huge um beginning for a lot of people um potentially so can i'm not too sure if that's something that we can discredit. I'm not trying to take away from Lord, but you know, he was in his um, article. He was saying, you know, there is a sense of privilege for Lord, and she will definitely be applauded for, you know, for an album like this. But there are so many people, so many tongue to whenua every single day who are trying to engage and trying to speak to our Maori and. But unmet with lack of support, a discredited still 
shut down and, and cut down by people who just are so ignorant and that space isn't fully there um, to support tangata whenua who are relearning and reconnecting with their language and so I thought him highlighting that was very interesting and um and then he also kind of touched upon how yeah there was this perspective that he did not relate to and and was just questioning if if these what Lord is trying to do belongs to the you know to if what Lord's trying to do um, benefits those who are struggling under the dominance of Western society. So there is um, a bit of irony there, and I think you know whether it, whether or not you agree with it, um, there is a really important underlying conversation that we need to have. And yeah, I just I thought that article was very interesting, so I would definitely recommend um, listening or reading to that so I found it through the big idea NZ and the choreographer um, is Jack Gray which is oh, sorry that sigh because that was just a long um, quarter and I felt like I, I went to different places with it but hopefully you kept up and there were some nuggets that you kind of took away from that but I think yeah I've been stewing on a lot of things and um, I've just recently been reading this book called Infidel and it's written by this Somali woman called Ayan Hirsi Ali and you know she is not well looked upon in the Somali community and dare I say in the wider Muslim community as well so she she grew up in um, Saudi Arabia and she lived she's from Somalia um, also was in Kenya as well and so um, had the like traditional Islamic upbringing and then um, you know she moved over to the Netherlands I think from memory I haven't got into that bit in the book anyway but she kind of denounces Islam and um, you know, got into politics and there were a lot of right-wing people that um, sided alongside her and kind of used her as a way to validate the Islamophobic um, rhetoric that was hanging around um, and you know she and she also made a movie as well and the guy who made the movie with her was murdered because there were a lot of um, people who were very angry about this movie and so now I think she I don't know if she still has it but you know she has 24-7 security um, so she is a very controversial um, figure in the Somali community but I think also the Muslim community as well so I read her book um, reading her book sorry just to I don't know understand and to know perhaps maybe where she's coming from or just to listen to her story with curiosity and I don't I'm not saying that I agree with her but 
reading this book has honestly been eye-opening she and this is just from a personal level because I've never been to Somalia before even though both of my parents are from there um, and you know unfortunately since I've been since I've been alive on this world um, Somalia has been in a very sad state um, yeah very sad state we've had civil wars and um, famine and disease and you know government dissolved and I think things things are slowly starting to come back up again I think up north um, things are quite stable um, and the countries is we're trying to get back on our feet with government but you know after such a long time of having no um, government functioning there have been so many other groups who have um, like ISIS motivated groups who have come onto Somalia and seen it as a place to to take over because there is no other governing body and so it yeah it's just it's been quite a sad place and even now there's still people trying to groups who are trying to fight to to take over and be in in control as government is, is slowly trying to set itself back up again um and i think um arbon hoya so arbor means dad and af somali and hoya means um mum and af somali so af somali is like my mother tongue you know arbon hoya were so worried and concerned about how us kids would survive and not just survive thrive in New Zealand and, and do well in, in our education because that is the reason why they brought us here you know we haven't always had the time to talk about our whakapapa and to understand our lands um, intimately and there's definitely a whole lot more that I I still need to learn and know and understand and it doesn't help that um, I'm not 100% fluent in the language it's quite broken um, and that's really hard because you know we're really focused on um, oral history and there's that really strong oral storytelling um, that's present in Somali culture you know you learn from your elders by you learn from your elders by sitting down and having that um, corridor and learning about your heritage and who your ancestors were and what happened at this time and what happened this year and all these sorts of things it's, um, you know we've kind of we've missed out on that just because there is that broken up language barrier anyways reading um infidel no matter how i feel about this woman's views on islam and all the other things that she's done the one thing that i've realized during this book is that oh my gosh there's still so much more that i need to learn and you know even and there are some this peppering of Atsmali in there and the peppering that I understand it just completely changes the way that I understand our history because you know her her life is her her life events are so intertwined with what was happening um, politically and socially and historically that reading Infidel is kind kind of like a history like book to Somalia and 
it's just made me realize that oh my gosh the complex um relationship between language and identity and how much more i still need to learn um and i know that it's not just about blood quantum or how well you speak the language or not i'm still very much a somali person and proud to be a somali um and i ground myself in my somaliness as well you know amal is grounded in in the somaliness but also um in my kiwiness as well but the important thing here to take away is that i am grounded in my somaliness and this is despite the fact that I'm not 100% fluent in the language and despite the fact that I've never ever been to Somalia and despite the fact that I don't 100% know my ancestry properly but I still ground myself in that Somaliness and I know all these things but reading Infidel it was quite challenging and quite upsetting that you know and this is just my inner thoughts and I'm not saying that this is correct but I was like oh my gosh like that's here's this woman who has you know denounced Islam and doesn't ground herself in her Somaliness but here she is she knows way more than I ever will she will be able to hold a conversation and she knows her ancestry and she will be able to tell you her you know great 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 grandfather and be able to tell you what they were doing in their life um, and what legacy they brought to the family line um, and I won't be able to do that so yeah it was a little bit of a it's been a little bit of an emotional journey um reading that book um and so i can't i can only begin to imagine how this week is going to be also an emotional journey um and whatever people's feelings are so 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 valid um yeah just wanted to put that out there and um another thing that i i wanted to talk about oh no we'll, we'll talk about the heavy thing first and then we can finish on a lighter note because i, I kind of want to talk about love island <laughs> um as well but i wanted to talk about the terrorist attack that happened at countdown and just kind of my very real raw feelings about what happened it was a really strange time in my brain i'm not going to lie it was a really strange time in my brain um when i heard news about what happened in countdown and not just immediately when i first heard about it but just ever since it's happened it's just it's been yeah a really like mixed bag emotion emotional time just thinking about what happened of course my my heart bleeds for um the victims involved um it's it's just it's horrible and it's and it's painful and it's a unnecessary um unnecessary thing that has that happens um but you can see how 
extremism and no matter where it comes from is this disease that kind of just pollutes people's minds and when it that seed is planted in someone's mind you know the world then becomes black and white and the apparent right thing to do um, comes to mind which is that's a very dangerous way to live life because sure the world might be black and white to you but people don't live in the black and white they live in the the shades and we have to safely create space for people to live however they please um but that is yeah one of the horrible things about extremism is that it completely takes over that sense of acceptance and you know there is this need to kind of bring truth to the world and that truth is full of hate and you know something that is foreign to most people and foreign to Islam but you know there is this association with terrorism and Islam and so when you know we did hear about the attack like the call was put out to all of the Muslim community like stay alert you know don't be scared but you know stay alert because unfortunately this always happens there's always an increase in hate crimes um, when terrorist attacks happen and hate crimes against um, Muslim communities like I was um, yeah my father called and he was like because it was level three at that point so extended the bubble to um, include family so my brothers were with me and I remember my father calling and just being like please be careful um, you know this happened and is really really sad but I'm really concerned about your safety because you know people will make Muslims a scapegoat and I saw that um, on like Facebook groups um, where sisters are saying look if you feel scared of something happens please report it if you're scared please let another sister know and we will go grocery shopping for you or you know we will we will support each other somehow it, it, that complies with the COVID-19 regulations because I think we were level three at that time but we will support you um, and I definitely I felt this sense of oh my gosh like this sense of saying sorry um, but there's nothing that I have to apologize for and I know that now but when I was younger heck no especially growing up in a western country post 9-11 there were so many comments of oh do you have a bomb hiding there um, or if anything went wrong in my vicinity you know I could feel all eyes on me um, and not in a good way so it definitely happens because I've lived it where you know Muslim people are the scapegoat and the ignorance kind of attaches or signs the blame to um, you know Muslim communities and so I was really yeah anxious apprehensive um, about what New Zealand would react how New Zealand would react to the 
Islam, or Muslim community, sorry, after this attack and whether that sentiment of they are us would still be present because yeah there's so much trauma from growing up in a place where Islamophobia is tolerated I'm not yeah where it's tolerated because no one really ever stood up for me we never had zero ground for this kind of behavior no matter what well, no matter what shape or form but it's only since the Christchurch attack I've noticed that we've been more conscious of that we need to have zero tolerance but before there was none of that and it was 1000% enabled um, and another thing that I thought was really interesting and I think has been playing on my mind a lot is that when the Christchurch terrorist attack first happened um, there was a lot of hesitant um, media that w wouldn't call it a terrorist attack but this time around it was immediately called a terrorist attack um, and the Christchurch terrorist attack the terrorist um, wasn't named um, wasn't given the time of day um, but with the attack here in countdown you know the person's history and name was um, published and um, and I think you no know, I understand people kind of want to know that information for for that sense of security but also you know when there is ignorance and racism truly well and alive and if that's something that you're still struggling with then I honestly I don't know what to say to you um, just ask any of any of your ethnic friends and they will be able to say the opposite um, and it's not just isolated cases and it's not just a few of us until there is zero tolerance for racism um, and tangata whenua and the treaty are completely honoured and you can ask any of your ethnic friends and they will back up your statement that New Zealand is not racist then maybe we can have a conversation but you cannot deny that racism is present in New Zealand and by publishing information like that um, when there is ignorant fears around migrants coming into New Zealand when there is Islamophobia um, it does make m marginalized communities feel like they're being marked um, when actually we are also really upset and sad as everyone any other Kiwi is about what happened because it was a horrific horrific event um, but I feel like you know the energy that would be spent or will just I feel like sorry I, I will rephrase that the in the need to be ready to protect myself and my community is at the foremost forefront of my mind rather than just having the space to be like oh my god this horrific thing happened and it happened in our country um how do we 
stay together as a community and stay strong to ensure something like this doesn't happen again. Um, but that's unfortunately not the first thing that is at the front of my mind. So, yeah, I'm not too sure exactly where I wanted, where I wanted that conversation to go or what I <laughs> wanted people to take away from that, but just kind of acknowledging that there has been this extra layer of um, complexity added to how to process the terrorist attack and countdown for the Muslim community because um, we have been scapegoats before and so that was a very real and valid concern um, when we heard news of what happened um, in countdown. And as promised, we will kind of finish on a lighter note. Um, and I've been wanting to talk about this on the show for a hot minute now, um, but just talking about Love Island. <laughs> so I usually, like I actually growing up, um, and I don't know, I should be, I should have a just mush for brain considering how much trashy TV I watched growing up. But I think that was balanced out by how many books that I read. Um, but I used to watch just a lot of trashy TV. And you know what, still here for it, I'm not going to lie. But as an adult, I've just kind of stopped watching it um, just because life was so busy and there were just lots of other things that I need to be doing with my time. And so, no, don't really watch um, trashy TV anymore. But recently have gotten sucked into Love Island and I've never watched that before. And oh my goodness, I can see why everyone was watching it. It is really, really addictive. Um, and for those of you who are like, mm, what is Love Island? It's um, a reality TV dating show where sing like all these people are gorgeous, by the way, like insanely gorgeous. Um, these insanely gorgeous people, they're all single, they're wanting to find love. And so they go onto this island um, and that aim there's it's not really a game but i think the final couple the winning couple who gets voted by the public um they win some cash money but you know people go there to find love and they um have recoupling ceremonies and so if you're not in a couple whether it's a love couple or a friend couple there is the risk that you will be booted off the island and so um, and pe new people get bought in all the time so it, it's considered like test for couples who are already coupled up if a new person comes along if they decide to split or explore something else um, with that new person um, or if they stay together um, and so you just watch these like gorgeous people lounge around <laughs> in bikinis trying to find connection and um, find love and it sounds really it is really frivolous and and you know a bit silly um, like your brain I feel like it doesn't gain anything <laughs> by watching it but watching it I was like well this is actually really interesting because there are so many like underlying conversations um, in in this like sexism racism colorism all the isms you could talk about it because you you could see it exhibited um on love island and how the islanders would relate to each other now talk about each other and 
oh goodness like so many interesting things tokenism as well that was a that was another really interesting one um the because it's a particular kind of um beauty that is on the show so it's like blonde blue eyes and then you'll have um you know the token like brown girl brown boy um and this season of love island they had someone who was half white half asian and in the first um south east asian girl on there i think um i think but she didn't stay there very long unfortunately i think she was booted off the island after like the first day or second day um but i thought it was really interesting how the Oh, and then I think to like further delve into this conversation, I need to explain what Casa Amor is. So like it's kind of, they introduce Casa Amor when there have been lots of couples who have kind of been established, you know. They're not officially girlfriend, boyfriend, though some may be, um, but they are established. And then they take, they separate the couples and have them um, meet New, a new group um in the new groups of the opposite sex and then at the end of the Casa Amor trip they decide if they um want to stay together or not and um there was a lighter skinned black girl who was brought back from Casa Amor onto the main island but eventually she was booted off and the way she would talk about the girl that stayed with the guy that she wanted to be with I was like oh my goodness the colorism it just reeks of colorism and you can see how the colorism not just plays out in that particular instance but in general like the black girls that are considered a, like very attractive on Love Island are the ones who do have features that align more with the Western beauty ideals, right? So lighter skinned, um, like um, not small, fairer feet, fairer features, smaller features, um, and have that body ideal and then it comes across as if the show is very inclusive and diverse when it isn't really because it's still like you can see how girls who don't fit in with that um the colorism beauty uh beauty ideal get treated um there was one girl on the show and um she didn't get mentioned that much when and that token or that stereotype of the angry black girl when she would stand up for herself rightly so fairly so in a very mature calm reasoned manner this the stereotype of the angry black girl was you know brought up again um and when you contrast 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 oh my goodness my english this episode when you contrast that to one of the other contestants on on love island and she literally was yelling and screaming at her partner um you know a lot of people watched that that episode and they were like this behavior is not on and i think they received like twenty-five thousand complaints about that one islander's behavior um but she didn't 
like suffer any consequences from it um she was still like favored in the public eye and i just i don't think if um the girl who didn't fit those kind of beauty standards or the the colorism beauty standard i really i feel like there would have been a different treatment there and even though the show is just so stupid like it just is a silly dating show it says a lot about our society and how we interact with race and it's in the specific context of love but how we interact with race like even the girl who was half asian half white her comments around how she's been fetishized and how she gets comments of being called exotic all the time came up a lot um and again even though it's a really silly dating show i think there's a lot to unpack um on and it kind of is commentary on how wider society still believes um race how you know how race plays a role in in love and dating and how we view other people and how we relate to other people and what we think is beautiful or not because colorism is very real and it's not just seen within ethnic communities you know where people girls are literally bleaching their skin because they want to be considered um more beautiful you can see it in how from like the western male gaze that if you are a black girl but you are lighter skinned and you have the features of um a white person you are considered beautiful but if you are a black girl who has natural hair full lips um you know the hips um the body the curves it's that is not considered as beautiful and kind of that kind of beauty is dehumanized and over fetishized if not appreciate appreciated the same way um that the beauty ideal is appreciated not just for being beautiful but also just a human a complex human with feelings um but if you are a black girl you're either just not considered or seen at all or over sexualized and that ain't it because where is the humanity in that um and before i really start talking about love island i will wrap up this episode um but thank you so much for tuning in if you are taking part in te wiki o te maori please don't need to be a moment and let this be a beginning check your intentions um listen without filter so you don't process it in a way that the speaker didn't intend and always be kind to each other Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.